And if you would turn in your Bibles, just as you get your notes this morning, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24 and verse 4. I'll read that in a moment. God, indeed, we pray your blessing upon us, God, that you would edify us this morning. Speak to us through your word, God. Open my mind. Open our minds. Enlighten us, Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Now, take a look up here a second. What is this? What is this? Most of the women should know. If any of the men know, I might be a bit worried about you. But what is this? What type of bag? A what? You should. Oh, okay, that's that's okay. What type of bag? Come on, girls. Louis Vuitton bag. Now, which one of these is real, and one of these is fake? Now, if you think that, if you think this is the fake one, put your hand up. Okay, about fifty-fifty. You know, it's actually. Could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at this. Is this fake or real? Okay, I was actually in Paris at the, at the time of the launch of the last Louis Vuitton bag. And there were crowds and crowds of people standing outside the, 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 the world's flagship store. Most of them were Chinese. <coughs> All standing there in, in, in large rows waiting to buy one of these. Next slide, please. Now, actually, it was the one on this side that is the fake. But it, they are becoming increasingly difficult to detect which one is the fake. And so they release these guidelines. And they tell you, if you're going to buy one of these bags, then you better start to know what you're buying in, in case you spend a fortune on something that is not actually the real deal, right? Very simple. A few little steps, a few little guidelines. But it can save us a lot of pain because there's fakes out there. There's counterfeit out there. Next slide, please. Oh, <laughs> who is a false prophet and who is a man of God? Don't say anything. Just keep looking at the, keep looking at the screen. One of these guys is a false prophet and one of them is a man of God. So who thinks this is a false prophet? Hands up. Come on. Okay. Okay. Who thinks this is the false prophet? Go on. You've got something in you. Come on. You must have some idea. Which, which? Okay. This is actually Billy Graham's son. This is Franklin Graham. He's the guy I told you about last week who used the name of Jesus. They said he couldn't use the name of Jesus. Remember? But he said, no, no, no. I will pray in the name of Jesus. This is a man of God for sure. I'm very pleased with the way he's behaving. But this guy here, this happy chappy, you've got to be careful of the fake, you know. You've got to be careful of the counterfeit. This is Rob Bell. And he is the leader of the emergent church in America. Now, I've been in ministry a long time. And you will not have heard me speak against people. Am I right? Come on, some of you guys have known me a long time. When have I ever spoken against any pastor, any leader? When? Can anybody name a time? No, you can't. Because I make it a principle in my life. If I don't know the people, then I will stay out of it. I've done that all my ministry life. 
I don't slander my brothers. I don't speak negatively about other pastors. But listen to me. I am accountable as a pastor on the earth in the last days. And scripture says that in the last days, a fake church, a counterfeit church will rise up upon the earth. And so I no longer really have a choice. The gloves are off in these closing decades, years of time. I need to start to actually say it like it is. And I'm afraid that's why I will continue like I did last week, explaining to you at least three major world leaders who were born again, who have now gone into error, doctrinal error, and are now leading multiple millions onto the path of, really for me, it's destruction. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the path, narrow is the doctrinal path, because that's what we're talking about here. Narrow is the doctrinal path that actually leads you to Jesus and to salvation. Now, let me just recap very briefly. I believe that the harlot church, okay, the fake church, the counterfeit church, which Christ said would emerge in the last days, is alive and kicking, and it's taking different forms around the world. And it's growing rapidly. We, as born-again believers, are going to become an ever-narrowing group. Just like the Muslims have their extremist group, they're called Al-Qaeda. And everybody hates them, right? Even the Muslim world don't want them. They hate them. It's a small group. They're the extremist Muslims. For the extremist Christians, who's that going to be? That's going to be us. It's going to be us. Because we will be those who stick with Scripture. We will be those who stick with the Word of God, who believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God. You can say amen right there. Right? We will be those. That's us. And so this narrowing of the way, just like Jesus said, it's happening right now. Okay? Let me show you. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, which is the place that Christ will return to, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, what shall, this, uh, what shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy second coming? What will be the sign of the end of the world? And Jesus answered them. So here's his first point. Jesus answered them, Take heed that no one, what? Deceive you. So that tells me that Jesus, they wanted to know, very sincere question from the apostles here, how do we know that we're in the last days? What will be the sign? And Jesus' first words, this is what you need to look for, deception. Deception, doctrinal error, waywardness, we call it the great apostasy. That a time has been predicted in history when believers who have walked right with God maybe for decades, will fall for the fake. Or they will just succumb to the, the, the temptation of what the fake church offers, which is less restrictions. You know, they feel it gives them more freedom or whatever, but these are the last days. And you're going to have to be very careful. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Listen to this. Paul says this, For a time will come 
when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will want to hear what their itching ears long to hear. So no matter where you go, really, in the New Testament particularly, it leads us to this conclusion that in the last days, which we are in, the end times church is upon the earth. You're part of it. And the principal warning of Jesus Christ to you is make sure that you're not deceived by those who are going to water down the scriptures. Are you with me? Serious days, folks. Very serious days. I have taught end times for a long time. I produced a television series on end times. I've written two books on end times. But I tell you this, friends. Listen. This week, we prayed for two full days. And this week, my spirit was so upset that she stood in my office, an office at home. She stood in my office door just praying. And I walked around the house like a a crazy guy. I walked around. I couldn't settle because I said, God! This is what you prophesied. Surely, as millions of people across the world leave our churches, as millions flock to the apostate church, surely this is what you spoke of. Next slide, please. This harlot church, which was prophesied, sorry, that's wheat and tares, by the way. Scripture says that the wheat and the tares grow up together, but there's one problem with wheat and tares. What is it? They're identical. They're identical. And there's, there's, there's a big problem with those handbags. There's a big problem with those happy chappies saying, come to Jesus, when they're not following Scripture. And there's a big problem with the, what you see. Big problem with what you see. You've got to be careful. The, the reason Jesus chose wheat and tares is because you can't instantly tell the difference. You need to have a, you know, go back to Scripture to find out what the differences are. Next slide, please. So what is happening on the earth at the moment? The Emergent Church is a huge organization that's gaining membership by the gazillion across America, not just America, but around the world. And really, within that church, it's hard to define their doctrine, but pretty much anything goes. So you want to live like this? Fine. God is love. God is good. It's just that there's no parameters, no guidelines. And this is probably the most dangerous thing. Chris Lam, I know many of you have spoken to me. Chris Lam is, it's demonic, friends. It's deception. Chris Lam is a combination of Christianity and Islam. And they put the two faiths, trying to put the two faiths together. The leader, one of the leaders of the movement for Chris Lam in America is a man most of you will know, Rick Warren. Okay? Once again, here we have a major world leader who has had enormous effect on the church, the purpose-driven life, you know, the purpose-driven church, all those things. And now what do we have? We have pastors, we have churches taking all their copies and throwing them out. Because if they give that copy to someone and they read it and they like it, they'll go back to Rick Warren today, 10 years, 15 years later, and he'll be saying, well, actually, we can work as in unity it's ecumenism really we can work in unity with islam well i'm sorry friends i'm not sorry there's not two ways to heaven there is one way to heaven there is not two ways okay there is one way to heaven and many of your forefathers were killed and martyred for upholding that principle 
We're not saved through Muhammad. His blood can't save. We're saved through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. There are a plethora of ecumenical organizations that are wishy-washy or whatever. Next slide, please. Sorry, in Matthew 24, verse 24. Let me just read that to you. Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false messiahs, false prophets, those who teach error. Jesus talking. For there shall arise false prophets and false Christ on the earth in the last days, and they will show great signs and wonders, even if it were possible to deceive the elect, those who are born again. Okay? So I'm not talking about people out there being deceived. I am. They are being deceived. But I count myself, I bring myself under caution because Christ says that the devil will even try to get into our churches. And of course, that's what he's doing. Okay? So guard yourself, guard your life and doctrine closely as, as Paul says. How do we tell the difference between an authentic bag and a fake bag, an authentic prophet and a false prophet, an authentic church and a false church? Well, certainly not by popularity. <laughs> certainly not by popularity. The gospel's not a popular, the true gospel and the true Christian life is going to become increasingly unpopular. And there will be many other alternatives out there for people that they, you know, as Paul said, their itching ears long to hear, they'll go for that. Okay? But what a deception. How do we tell the difference then between the real church on this earth and the harlot church or the apostate church? Number one, I would say that the apostate church, the, the, the emergent church, love ritual over relationship. I'll give you an example. The leader of the Episcopal Church in Washington is a man called James Kelly. And he recently, he's like the local bishop, he recently in an interview said, actually, I don't believe in God. <laughs> yeah. So the interviewer challenged him, what? Uh, you don't believe in God? How can you lead churches? How can you be a pastor and say that you don't believe in God? And this verbatim was his reply. Oh, we all love the incense. The stained glass windows, the organ music, the vestments, and all the drama, the ritual. I don't want to give all that up just because I don't believe in God. Shocking. Shocking. Ritual. And there's something about human nature that actually likes routine, hates routine, but also likes routine. And the, the denominations historically, and this apostate church, will be an expert in appeasing your conscience. And Sunday becomes like a happy pill. Where you come to church, you will not be challenged. No one will care enough to challenge you. And folks, if you're sitting there listening to me for the first time, and you're thinking, he's a bit brutal, isn't he? He's a little bit blunt. God help you. May God help you. Do you know what it says in the book of Hebrews? Don't you understand that when I discipline you, God says it's because I love you? Don't you understand it's to keep you safe? It's to help you? And I can give you pandering messages that make you feel good and then some of you may end up in hell. You understand me? It's not a game. It's not a game. This is very serious business. Immensely serious business. The harlot church, the, the church which is a deception on this earth, will become masters, indeed already are masters, of helping you 
feel good about yourself, appease your conscience, come to church, go through the ritual. And you know the problem with this? People who go to ritual services, they're interested in feeling good, but not in being good. There's a difference. I want to be good. I want the goodness of God in me. And that requires the disciplines of God in my life because I actually want to be good. I don't just want to feel good. And with the power of of preaching good and bad, as Paul says, they can actually affect you, you see. They can make you feel better about yourself. And when there's a crowd of people around you and they're all saying it's okay, do you know what? Maybe I'm okay. Maybe actually this whole Bible thing is not quite right, you know? And it's very comfortable, very attractive to the lost and very attractive to backslidden, saved people. Dangerous times indeed. So number one way that we can tell a ch- uh, the wrong type of church is ritual comes first and a relationship of obedience to Jesus is just not there. Second point, you can spot a harlot church or a, a church that is a deception because they will tell you what they believe, but they do not seek to obey that. Now let me give a word of warning to every single one of you. And the word is this. What you believe will not save you. We go out on the streets on Saturday and I've lost count. We were out yesterday. I've lost count of the number of people who come up and when you give them a tract, what's the first word out of their mouth? Oh, I believe in God. I believe in God. What a deception. Romans chapter 1 says that every human being born on this planet believes in God. It says the devil believes in God in the Bible. What you believe does not save you. Okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. It's what we obey. It's repentance. And the the ritualistic church have a set of beliefs that they think just because I believe this, that means I'm fine. Now I can go and live whatever way I want. Now I don't have to obey scripture. That is not the full gospel. It's not a gospel at all. There are actually four steps in salvation. Now, you should know them back to front by now. Repent, believe, be baptized, and receive. And the deception starts whenever people, they they don't want the repent bit. (laughs) They just want to say what they believe. Well, actually, you need to repent, guys. We need to repent, believe in Jesus Christ's death in, in, in my place, We need to be baptized because Jesus said that to Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, how can a man enter heaven? How can a man be saved? And he was a Jew, so he knew about repentance and belief. So Jesus said to him, no one will enter heaven, Nicodemus, unless he is baptized in water and has received the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it, so don't look at me. Jesus sealed the gospel. Four steps into true, complete, secure salvation. You need to repent of your sin. Okay? You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just repenting doesn't say, okay, you also do need to believe, but it's not isolated. Jesus said you must be baptized, should be baptized. If it's impossible for you to be baptized, it's not a problem, like the thief on the cross. But where in most 99.9 cases, it is possible and you should obey that command. Okay? And he said to Nicodemus, and has received the Spirit, like the parable of the ten virgins, 
we looked at last week. The parable of the ten virgins is Christ coming back to the earth and there's the church and half of them have the spirit and half of them have not. 50%. 50% of the church on the planet in the last days has disregarded doctrine. It doesn't matter. Let's just live whatever way we want. 50% according to Jesus, not my statistics. And of course, you know the story. He left them behind, didn't he? Because they were not spirit-filled. Repent, believe, be baptized, and receive the spirit, and then walk in that spirit. So being down on the streets on a regular basis is a very good university. Because you meet so many people who will give you, some of them will say they believe and they think they're okay. No, you're not. Others will say, oh, well, I was baptized. If you isolate that, if you were baptized as a child, you didn't know what you were doing. I don't believe in, you know, infant regeneration, as they call it. I mean, we had a baby here last week. Oh, here we I'll take the baby, I'll baptize the baby. Now you're born again. Please. Please. You know, it's ridiculous. I can go out in the street. I can grab someone, dunk them in the water. Now you're saved. No, don't know what they're doing. Don't know what you're talking about. Okay? They need to repent. And, and people will say to us on the street, I'm saved because, only because of what I believe. No. Others will say, I'm saved because I was baptized as a child. No. You may have come through the water, but you didn't come via the blood. You never went through the cross. You never repented and received the touch of the blood, repentance towards you know, God, which actually saves you. And then you complete that salvation. As Paul said, I work it out with fear and trembling. Other people, I mean, <laughs> this is scary. I'll read it to you so you don't blame me. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, look at this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus is talking about the end of time and about us. Everything's over and we're appearing before God. And look at what he says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. He says this. Many people will come to me on the day of judgment and they will say, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons and do mighty works? Did we not profess you? And Jesus turns and says, depart from me, you who do iniquity. What on earth is happening here? How's that, Jesus? So there's those, you see, folks, I I don't like playing games with salvation. Okay? The doctrines surrounding salvation are not funny. They're incredibly serious with eternal consequences. So I like to keep it really clear because then I know exactly where I stand. All the giftings in the world inside of me, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. I can have the gift of healing and heal the sick. I can prophesy the gifts and the calling are without repentance. But some people will have been saved. They will have been gifted. And then they get taken up by this harlot church and they go off and lo and behold that gift still functioning and they die and they go before Christ and he says get away from me I never knew you but I was a prophet but I healed the sick Jesus what do you mean I'm not going to heaven what's what are you talking about Jesus and Jesus says away from me who work iniquity so folks (laughs) I will answer to Jesus you will answer to Jesus and to nobody else and so I want to I I proceed towards heaven based on his criteria, based on the steps that he gives me and no one else. 
And that's my advice to you and to anybody I speak to. Other people that we meet on the street, they're convinced that because they have done good things in the past, right, they think they're safe. You meet them down there and you say, hello, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> that was a very shaky answer. Oh, no, I used to go to church. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was on the cleaning team. I used to clean. Oh, I cleaned the church. Oh, did I clean the church? I cleaned, I cleaned. Did you? Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. And I, 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 I was in the nursery. I looked after the nursery. That was from 1974 to 1980. And have you been to church since? Uh, um, no. But I did all that. I did all that. I did years of work, so I reckon I'm okay. I reckon I'm fine. Ezekiel chapter 3. Look at this. Let's see what Ezekiel has to say about exactly that type of response to God. Again, when a righteous man turns from the righteous life that he's living and he commits iniquity, then the good deeds that he committed will not be remembered. They will not be remembered. What he has done will be wiped out, if you like, by God. His good deeds will not help him. Do you understand? And many people walk around and instead of turning to Jesus, they remind themselves of all the good things they have done and the devil is very keen for them to do that but actually your good deeds don't save anyway folks amen? amen good deeds never saved anybody and they won't save you so don't comfort yourself in that regard for the things that you have done because that is a fool's comfort that's a job's comforter right there it's not correct do good work folks let's all do as much good as we can whilst we pass through this world but don't lean on that Rather, you need to walk with God. Remember, we're saved by grace through faithfulness. The Greek word is not actually faith. It's continual present tense. We're saved by grace, not by an act of faith 20 years ago. Not by a prayer I prayed back then. But the Greek actually says we are saved by grace through faithfulness with God. Through walking with God every day of our life. You with me? Do you understand? It's not a one-off occurrence like good deeds in my past or something I can rely on. No, sir, not according to the Bible. So this is just a very short list. We can look at more in weeks to come. But this is a short list of how I would say that you could begin to identify the harlot church, which is alive and kicking on the earth. I believe the second coming, the, 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 the rapture, the second coming of Christ is closer than when I first believed. And if you look at the signs, I mean, goodness me, Jesus, so, it's not like he didn't tell you. He told you. When you see Israel return to their land, then you will know that my return is near. Then you will see it. For 2,000 years, the Jews had no land. And for 2,000 years, the church could say, well, it hasn't happened, so it must be in the distant future. And then in 1948, after the Second World War, the Christian world got its first wake-up call. And the Jews got their land back. Now a generation, he said, I will return into that generation, whether it's, there's arguments over this, whether a generation is 30, 60, 100, whatever length of time Christ meant. The one thing we know for sure 
that, that, that we are that end times army. We are, we, I, I have been trusted to live on the earth in the last days and to be trustworthy with the word of God, not to compromise it or to tell people what they want to hear, but to tell them what they need to hear. To tell them the truth that will save them. I come from a long line of, of my forefathers, like me, who were hung, drawn, quartered, spat at, whipped, tortured, imprisoned, because they told people the truth and they didn't want it. What will you do with the truth? What will you do in 2013? Will you behave like a pagan and go and build yourself bigger houses and faster cars? Will you be deceived? Will you fall for this? Or are you going to be let God enlighten you and let him show you his warnings? So they say, Jesus, tell us, what will be the sign of your return? The sign will be deception. Deception. Even the elect susceptible to this. And of course, that's exactly what we're seeing. When you see Israel return to their homeland, know this, that my return is near. Now that, when you tell people that the return of Christ is near, I am gobsmacked by the reactions. <laughs> Listen to this. I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. I was with a pastor friend of mine. I'd known him a long time. And we were talking about some of the stuff I'm going to cover next week. If, if, if next week's message doesn't make your hair stand on end, I don't know what will. I was explaining to him some of the cr chronology concerning end times um, and working through it. And at a certain point, we were sitting at his dinner table. And I went through it. At a certain point, he pushed his chair back. He got up. And his attitude changed. And he said, you don't know that. You don't know that this is true. I thought, easy on, Dave. Calm down, Dave. You were really nice a minute ago. Well, you don't know that this is true. What, what, what are you on about? Easy on, easy on. I was just showing you the, 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 the chronology tells me that these are the last days. What, what's come up? Well, I, oh, just forget it. Come on, come on. That's just, I thought, that's a strange, what a strange reaction for a Christian. I can't remember how long it was. Six months, a year, I found out he was in adultery. And then I remembered his reaction. Oh, you don't want God to come back. You're frightened. You're frightened and you did not want me to speak the truth because you know that your life is not right. What, what a strange reaction. Don't answer my question. Is it good news for you, friend, that Christ is coming back? Is that good news? Because the Our Father says that it is. And there's something to worry about when it's not good news. I'll talk in a moment about how we get our lives in order so that it is good news this week and next week. So you need to check your own spirit and be very careful. Guard your eternity. Don't let anything steal your salvation. But when you hear that Christ is coming back, because he is, how do you feel? How does it make you feel in your gut? It's a good, it's a good assessment. Well, it's not a totally reliable assessment, but it's a good place to start. Am I like that guy who doesn't want to know? What a foolish way to be. Instead of behaving like that, what should he have done? What should that man have done? He should have repented. You know, the first book we wrote here, nobody ever told me that. But like nobody's ever told you this. The book's called that for a reason. 
and I got an email from a guy, I'll never forget it, got an email from a guy in Australia. And I was explaining to, in the first three chapters of the book, about how you need to hold on to your salvation, friend. And he was so cocky that he'd left his wife, he was living with a girl, he left her and his kids, and was away somewhere else and still considering himself worshipping God and everything else and continuing his normal Christian life, as it were, but in total deception. And he read that, those few chapters, and he emailed me. And he said, very simple, very short email. I read your book about salvation and about what the Bible says about getting saved, staying saved. I had never been told that. Yeah, that's why it's called Nobody Ever Told Me. I had never heard that before. I want to say thank you, and I want to tell you this. I'm leaving my girlfriend. I'm going back to my wife, and I will be asking her to forgive me, and the children to forgive me, and for God to restore my marriage. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. What a different reaction from my friend. What a different reaction people have to the truth. Some, you know, bury themselves even deeper and others realize I need to cry out to God for, for my security and my salvation, a bit like Paul did. Paul didn't rely on his good works, did he? Heavens above, and he had something to boast about, remember? He knew better than that. So these, uh, this is some of the ways that we can tell the harlot church, the apostate church as it grows on the face of the earth. Now, let's talk about you a moment. How can I be sure that I am saved? Now, you may say, when I came to church this morning, I thought I was saved. Now, I'm not so sure. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> um, how do I know that I am saved? What does the Bible say about that? Okay, next slide, please. Well, a few very clear guidelines that scripture gives 1 John chapter 2 look what John says I want to see this in me in my family in my home so that I am securing if you like my salvation love not the world and neither the things of the world if anybody loves the world then the love of God is not in him and John goes at this from many different angles so one of the first foremost signs or assurances that a person belongs to Christ is that everything of this world, the seeking after the things of this world, no longer has the same attraction. It's lost its appeal. There's a guy at the back here called Tony Taxi, but he doesn't have a taxi now, so we'll just call him Tony. This is Tony. Tony's a very good snooker player. And so am I. No, not really. He's better than me. I, I tell you what, I had a passion for a snooker. I could spend till I was falling asleep. I could stay in that club and play till I was just exhausted. That's why many of them are 24 hours a day. Because once you start that game, it goes on forever anyway, but it can just consume your entire life. And I never, I never believed that the day would come that I would not have a passion for snooker. But then I didn't know I was going to get saved. And I got saved, and all of a sudden, it just didn't feel the same. The game wasn't as interesting. I wasn't as excited. I was distracted in the best possible way. And I'd lost a little bit of the world and gained a little bit of the kingdom. I was passionate about my career. I was a social worker and I had a bit of a crusade 
to shut down a particular hospital and to see community services for mentally ill, violent men I worked with, to see community services established for those guys. And I had done very well in my career. I'd been promoted more than virtually anybody around me. I loved that work. I loved it with a passion. And then I got saved. And now the whole world looks different and everything in it looks different. Uh, and I resigned. I resigned because I could see that there weren't enough people doing the work of the kingdom. And my fellow social workers, my boss, in fact, her name was, she was Welsh, her name was Iviona. And she came to me one day and she said these words. She said, you are so good at what you do. How can you as a Christian walk away from this good work? I just don't understand. And I said to her, Iviona, there are millions of men who can look after the mentally ill. But who's going to tell the lost about Jesus Christ? My passion is alive for the gospel. It's alive for the kingdom. Yes, I love this work, but I've got work to do. I need to get on with it. Jesus was a carpenter. But the day came when the passion overcame him, overwhelmed him. And he could not remain there. He had to go. He had to go. And so you be careful. When the world loses its appeal, it's a good sign that salvation is alive within you. But when you're still chasing the things the pagans chase, it's concerning. It's very concerning. Or talk about films. I can't watch a film. The last film I saw was on an aeroplane because we fly so much. Slumdog Millionaire. That was a great film, actually. It was fantastic, wasn't it? That was the last film we saw. And I, gazillions of years before that, I cannot, I cannot sit and watch a film. I cannot. Because I'm bored stiff. I've, you've, I've got no interest in it. I've got, you've got nothing, nothing to amuse me. Nothing is in this. This is emptiness. Amusement. Do you know what the word amusement means? Empty-headed. A. Amoral, no morals. Amusement, it means you're switching off your brain. And you're being amused. You're being disabled. Dysfunctional. So be careful of amusement. It's a sign that you're slumbering. Good point that we had actually when we were in Austria. The scripture says that you know, God will neither slumber nor sleep. Slumbering is not sleep. There are two different things. It says that God will not, he, he'll do neither. He'll neither slumber nor sleep. Sleep is sleep. So what slumber? Slumber is when you know what you should do, but you don't do it. Because you take a little rest here. Yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Slumbering is those who know the task in this life, in this hour, but then avoid that task or go after every worldly thing. Oh, God help us. May God help us. Father, would you speak this morning? Would you call people in this room? Would you call them to ministry? Would you call them to the gospel? Even as we sang earlier, to go and tell the world that Jesus lives. Yesterday I was on the streets of our city. Last week I met two girls from China, neither of whom had ever heard the name of Jesus before. That's never happened to me before. In all the years, yesterday I met one girl who had never heard the name of Jesus before. 
and the girl with her had heard the name of Jesus because her grandmother told her that she believed in Jesus. And I was able just to pull them aside and explain the gospel. They were so polite, so keen to listen. Eight out of ten lost people in China currently being stopped have never heard of Jesus. Never heard. I posted off this week the last of my gospels in Mandarin to Austria for distribution there. And I'll order a lot more. But I tell you this, folks. Those of you students... Please, when you're in this land, please join us for evangelism. Please join us for evangelism. Thank you, brother. Join us. Because it's not right. It is not right. It is not right. Down on those streets, we've got the Africans pretty good. Pakistanis are at every Wednesday, the Eritreans. And I can't seem to move! Chinese, can't seem to move! Need to care for your own race and care for your own people. And we say come and join us and they do a million things because they're soaked up in the world. Vatoni. Go get your Vatoni. God help us. You have been trusted by Jesus Christ to live in 2013 in the closing times, the closing moments. Now get with it. Two weeks ago, when I was down on the street, and there was Gordon, myself, and Jeanette, and I tell you folks, laugh at me, I don't care, but I I almost felt like hovering over me was God, and God was over me and and hanging around, and he said, go on, well done, tell him about Jesus, go on Mike, don't stop, keep going, I'm with you. And I I tell you, when I went home, I felt like I was wrapped in God. It feels so good when you do what is right. And so many Christians looking so dull and so bored. Stuffing your face. And being amused, amused, switching your brain off. Don't slumber. Don't slumber. So I call you. To reach your race. Are you with me? Reach your race. I I get very annoyed with that. I really do. There was a famine in Africa about 15 years ago. And I was preaching at an event in Dublin. And it was about five or six African churches. And they took up a special offering in that meeting for the famine. And I reached in my wallet. And all I had was 40 quid, I think it was. So they came around with a bag. I put the 40 quid in. And they did some more worship and everything else. They had counted the offering. And the pastor got up. And uh, he said, okay, we've counted the offering. And this is what we're going to give. And it was something like 46, 47 quid. Jesus. Well, I tell you, I was ready to preach that day. I stood up. I told them. I said, you mean, miserable disgraceful bunch of people that your own race are starving to death and you keep your money in your pocket. I care about your people more than you do. What sort of behavior is that? God help us. And I feel like that sometimes when I work with the different cultures because that's what I do. Working with the Pakistanis or the Russians or this, that and the other. 
And I go to a Russian pastor and he says, well, I don't want to buy the tracks because I don't want to spend the money. Well, okay, I'll buy them. I'll buy them. And the sadder, sadder than that, they let you do it. Sadder than that, they let you do it. Not even able to be convicted. Conscience seared as with a hot iron. No longer able to feel. So I want to ask you, where is your priority? And have you got your priorities from the world? Or from mummy and daddy? Where did you get them from? Well, my mummy and daddy will not dictate my life. I have a new father. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Don't you understand? Great, carry on, mum. Carry on, dad. But don't you understand that now I'm come of age, as it were, with Jesus? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know that that is functioning? When the world loses its appeal. Number two, when you love the church. Now the church, for me, the church can be more of a pain in the neck for me than it ever is for you. Trust me. But I, I have learned to love the church and to love the house of God no matter what. No matter what happens. I am committed to the church. I believe in the church. I believe in the big picture. I love the church. That's why I'm still here. And you get so many reasons to, so many reasons. We don't need to be here for any reason, Jeanette. Don't need to be here for any reason. You know, some of you are new. We got a letter. We were going to Gordon's cell group and the day came. I, I love my wife more than I can put in words. I got a letter from the doctor saying she at that time, what was this, five years, six years to live. That's about three years ago, four years ago now. I got that letter. And I served God for all these years. We, 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 you know, I got the letter and we drove down. It's time for cell group. Time for cell group. Come on, Jeanette. I took the letter with us, actually. And I pulled up outside the house, outside Gordon's. And I, we didn't speak, you know. <coughs> I pulled up and I said to her, Jeanette, we have served God all these years with no problems, really. No, I mean, yes, you know the normal stuff, but nothing too severe. What are we going to do now? Abandon? Because of a little bit of pain? Abandon him, is it? We're going to walk away because there's problems? And I grabbed her and I said, we will go! And we will be faithful through it all, no matter what. That's what we will do. We will continue no matter what. And we will love this church. Love God's church. Pastor Fred is a fantastic example to all of us of actually a, a good pastor. The, the, the Pakistani group, I'm very close to them. They meet here on Sunday afternoon. I think Fred, of all our pastors, we have five full-time pastors and Fred is probably the one who's been abused, misused, mistreated, slandered, gossiped about, backstabbed more than anybody else in the whole church and more than most pastors I know because they have a problematic culture, the Pakistanis. And I've come in here when he's standing for what is right. I've come in here about three times over the last seven years and there's so few people here. And I mean, six months ago, Fred was full. I said, Freddie, what? Where's the people? And Fred will be sitting there and his, himself and his wife holding it together. 
They said, well, you see, they want me to compromise on this and they want me to compromise on that and I can't do it. And tears running down their face. Keep going, Fred. Keep going, Fred. <laughs> Keep going. You're not alone. You're not alone. Keep going, man. Don't compromise. Don't give in. Hang in there. Fantastic. One pastor came to me, not, not one of us, and said, I want to talk to you and come over for coffee. And I met him in a coffee shop and he said, do you know what you need to do? You need to sack Pastor Fred and make me the pastor. <laughs> well, I, I, it's very, it's hysterical. I, I you know, it, 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 you try, try, try not to belittle the guy, but I said, sir, <laughs> you wouldn't last three weeks. You wouldn't last. You don't love the church. What do you want ministry is in? A title is in? Position, what? What do you want? But you don't love the church. Under no circumstances will I sack Pastor Fred. The easiest thing in the world for me to do is to complain about the tiny little things that I do do. And the book of Hebrews puts it very well. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So don't slap yourself on your back because you're out two evenings a week. You're no hero. Other people are locked in prisons and tortured, etc. When I was in Singapore in college, there was a young man beside me and all of us were young men training to go out and plant churches. We were all enthusiastic, all energetic. But there was something different about Lawrence and I never quite understood what is it, what is it about him? There's something, I just can't get it, you know, but something really good. And I liked him. I tried to get near him and rub shoulders with him. And one day I found out what it was. I, you know, I said, tell me about you. Who, who, who are you? I said, well, I'm from Colombo, Sri Lanka. This is a long time ago. And we work up, Tamil Tigers, we work up in those regions. And our people get killed. Oh. And I am one of three youth pastors who were supposed to be training, but I'm the only one left. Because my two friends were both macheted to death for preaching the gospel. And when I finish, we call it the PLP, Pastoral Leadership Program, training. When I finish the program, I will be going back where they went. And I suddenly realized the great sincerity and depth in that young man. What am I, what am I complaining about? <laughs> what sacrifices have I made? What sacrifices have you made? And the book of Hebrews says, before you start down that road, compare yourself to others who have suffered, who have shed their blood, and get yourself back in perspective a moment. Because we're not heroes, guys. Certainly not in this country. You love the church because you obey the Bible. Not just read the Bible, not just academic assent to the Bible, but Jesus said in John's Gospel, if you love me, you will... If you love me, you will, you will obey me. It will be a sign that I'm active in you. When I see that you obey the scriptures, you don't just read them. Number four, a sign that Christ is alive in you, that your salvation is working and, and, and held together, is that you have a passion for Christ and for the gospel. Once you start to lose your passion, and the Bible says this, in the last days, the love of many... Yeah, 
Many, he says, will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, I did all this. Get away. Many, many in that day, their love will grow cold. Their passion for Jesus. You see, once you start, folks, I'm human. Happens us just like it's happened you. I wake up and I feel like I don't want to do this or don't want to do that. I get days, we get days when it's a bad day. The only difference is, I would say this, I understand what that is. It's an attack. That's an attack. I'm going to do more. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to fast more. And I will fight back at that. Because I understand where that road leads me. I've dealt with too many people at this stage who become passionless. And the next thing you know, they're gone. They're lost. They're gone because they didn't deal with it in that early stage. When you start to lose your passion, for heaven's sake, wake up and stir up that passion within you. Get fasting, get praying, get down there on Saturday if you can. If you're working, no problem, I understand that. But get down and get engaged in the kingdom and get that passion back. I heard a quote this week which I thought was a great quote. I, I think it was Greek philosophers actually. They said this, those whom the gods want to destroy, they first make mad. And I thought that was, that's actually so true. Those who the devil wants to destroy, first makes them mad, make them angry. Angry about life, bitter about life. Next thing you know, I'm taking it out on God. And when you find yourself getting angry at life, bitter at life, you just be careful about how that's being handled. Right? My last slide, please. Take a look at this. This is something that most of you, next week I'll bring a, a book for anybody who wants it. It's called Living as an End Times Believer. It's, it's the first book we, we produced here on end times. But I produced this list years ago on how to, how to make, sh uh, how can I put it? It's, it's, it's a checklist for all believers who live on the earth in the last days. A checklist that we should all adhere to, if you like, it's a, it's a safety catch. And they're very simple points. But I want to review this list in light of deception. I want to go back over it with completely new points. The list can stay. i got about another four or five now. The list can stay, but you can see this, the, 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 the seriousness of the points and the reason they're there. Make sure you're saved. I don't want to, people to tell me I'm saved. I want to find my route to salvation in the Bible from Jesus. I want to because he's the one I will face. So I want to find my salvation in scripture. Repent, believe, be baptized, receive. Tell your family. Scripture says in 2 Peter, watch out for false teachers, etc., etc., etc. Don't be idle. God help us. Don't be idle in the last days. Don't build up wealth in the last days in the book of James. It says, woe to you. You have hoarded gold, it says. Do you know the, have you any idea the number of people who have bought gold in the last 10 years? Since 2008. They ran to gold. And in the book of James, all those years ago, James says, woe to you who hoarded gold in the last days. So he knew, he, he was prophesying that some will run to these things. Next week I'll bring that book. You can have a copy of it for free. No problem. 
But just a few warnings, I want to go back over them in weeks to come. What, every time I say, don't miss next week, people take the stupidest excuses and they do miss. So I'm kind of hesitant to say it. <laughs> but I tell you, if ever, 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 I've got a word in me, I tell you what, folks, I've got a word in me. It's been bothering us all week because I really see things more clearly than I've ever seen them. Next week, I want to present to you the, the blood moons. Jesus said, for surely the Son of Man will not return until the moon turns blood red and the sun is darkened in the sky. Okay? The next week, I want to do a bit of an expose uh, in terms of astronomy and how that fits in the, in the timeline of history and then explain some things that are coming up in the very near future concerning the last days. Okay? So my advice to you, change your shift. Love not the world. <laughs> change your shift. Organize your day and be here. More than this, tell your friends and invite them here. Will you? Will you? I wonder, will you? Every one of you have neighbors and friends. John, you're here this morning because of your good brother sitting beside you, Justice, who one day, Justice went to John and said, John, come and hear. Come and hear what we're hearing. Hallelujah. You will be eternally blessed and grateful. So I want you to take, do not slumber. Go to work tomorrow. Go to college tomorrow. Go to university tomorrow. And you tell your friends, hey, come with me on Sunday. Because I've heard something. That's so important. You have to come and hear it. Will you? Will you? Thank you, John. Will you? Will you try? Estella said to me yesterday about evangelism. She said, when you see people coming towards you and you're giving out a tract, you always know the person who will take it and the person who won't. I said, wrong, Estella. <laughs> you're, you're wrong. I said, what? No, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. That is not a good... You're, you're wrong. It's not correct. Am I right, John? Many people, they're walking down, walking down the street. You think, oh, look at this guy. Look at this guy. And you put the tract out and they go, okay, what is that? You know, if it fools you. You see another person smiling like an angel. No, thanks. Very deceptive. Don't be fooled. You go into work or go to college tomorrow and that miserable boss, you think, well, I'm not going to ask it. Don't. I'm not going to ask them. I'm not going to go to my neighbor. Goodness me. But I want you to go from this place with a commitment to do what we sing, to do what we pray, to tell people about Jesus Christ and invite them to, to join our fellowship to get on the narrow way. Because there's plenty of voices out there trying to lead them the wrong way. I am sorry, folks. I don't, I don't get up in the morning and think how to upset people. Okay? I don't do that. What I need to do, I'm answerable to God, and that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. All I ask you to do is consider it biblically. Read your Bible. Obey the Bible. 
And this for me is security. Amen?